You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. All right, let's try that again. Good morning. Hey. All right. So we're in Ephesians chapter 4. No, I'll just do this. Well, this might create a better habit. Anyways, um, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're looking at uh, our third part in West Wind United. So we're looking at verses 11 to 16 of Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll have this on the screen, but Paul, through the Holy Spirit, in verse 11 says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of deceit, by every human cunning, with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together, by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. So I have a couple pictures that I want to throw up on the screen. The first one is a cruise ship. Uh, it was a few years ago, probably almost 10 years ago, uh, or 12 years ago, that Joanna and I actually got to go on a cruise. There's a cruise that leaves out of Jacksonville. That's where my parents live. So we were able to uh, drive down, drop off the kids, hit the boats, and cruises are great, right? You have 24-hour pizza bars where you can go get pizza all throughout the, the day, nights. You have 24-hour ice cream bars that you can go onto. My favorite part's on the back of the deck. That's the parent deck, and it's supposed to be quiet, right? And there's a, there's a hot tub, uh, and it's just the quietness of the back of the boat. Nothing, no kids, no teenagers allowed. On the top of the boat, you see all kind of crazy, fun stuff. But when we think about church, a lot of times we think about uh, church as, as if it was a cruise boat, right? And on a cruise boat, you have about 500 to 1,000 workers to so every 10,000 people who are on the boat, right? And so the ratio just isn't there. And then you expect to be served and pampered while you're on the cruise boat. You don't expect to have to do anything for yourself or for others, right? And so uh, I'll never forget, like, you know, we would just go to the dinner at random times. Like, we didn't care when we ate, whatnot. We just cared that we were together, that we didn't have the kids. Amen. Uh, and the last night we sat down, we finally actually had dinner with, like, a group of people. And, like, we get done with our course, we're, we're done, right? We, we ate a meal, we're, you know. And what we just kept sitting, we sat there and talked. And, like, the, the group that we were with, they ate all the options for dinner, right? Like, I didn't know that you could even do that. Like, that, so if there's four different options for dinner. You can just say yes, and they will bring you all four options, right? Uh, but just thinking about that mentality, and unfortunately, why churches are in decline in America is because we have this mentality, right? Where it's about me, where it's about my preferences, where it's about people serving me. What can I get? Consumerism, right? That's not, though, the picture that's presented of what the church is supposed to be in the New Testament. Instead, look at this next picture. This is what 
the church is presented as. What do I have on the screen now? Not a cruise ship. Now I have a what? Battleship, right? In a battleship, every person who's on the ship is accounted for, is known, and has a job and a purpose. And if they don't do their job together, what happens? They sink, right? They sink. They lose in warfare because they're not doing their jobs and not caring for each other in their specific roles that they have. So the church is more like a battleship than it is a cruise ship. So what does that mean? That means for us, we have, to, we have to be all hands on deck. We have to know our giftings. We have to know our abilities, and we have to use them to serve one another to build up the local church. So now our default position is not to live this way. Our default position is to live for ourselves. When you wake up, the first thing you think about is yourself. But yet the, the gospel tells us that the we're to be other-centered in our relationships and in our Christianity. And so this is against God's plan for the world when we are self-centered. God's plan is to fill the earth with his rule and his reign through the local church. And so Ephesians 4 then presents this biblical church growth model. So I went to seminary. I went to actually two different seminaries. I actually have four different Bible degrees. And all I learned from those four different degrees is to trust the Bible. That there's no gimmicks. There's no, there's no secret sauce. There's no plan out there that will fix every church. What is the hope of the church is God's word. And the blueprint for church growth is given in God's word and specifically here in Ephesians chapter 4. So I want to look at, first of all, on your notes, you'll notice I have more notes for you to fill in, although they're shorter. So we're going to go through the first three real quick here because there's summary. But I want to look at characteristics of a life worthy of our calling. What does it mean that we've been called to follow Jesus? There's characteristics that are worthy of this calling. And so there are three things. These are the three points of church health and church growth to focus on. And if you get these three things right, I I just believe firmly in my heart that a church will grow. So the first one is unity. We looked at that uh, four weeks ago because we had Matt Deaver come and preach on Psalm 32 a few weeks back. But four weeks ago, we looked at unity in verses 1 to 6. Right, And we are united in our calling. Right, We are all sinners in need of God's mercy that he gives us through grace, through Jesus. And we're united through our calling. And therefore, we must walk in, and we, we talked about humility and gentleness, patience. We must maintain our unity. We must pursue the bond of peace. We must bear with one another. Then we looked at diversity last week. We're unified but we're not uniformed. There's diversity within our body. And how does that diversity play out? Well, it does play out, I mean, in our ethnicity, in our, uh, in our economically it plays out, in our age, multi-generationally it plays out. But specifically, Paul is saying you're diversified in your gifts. Everyone has a spiritual gift. Grace was given to each of us. So we're united in the gospel, but then diversified in our gifting. And our gifts came at a great cost. It cost Jesus his life in order to give you the gifts of grace, your spiritual gifts. We talked about your spiritual gift is just whatever energizes you to serve other people and to build up the kingdom of God. So for some of you, I've I've asked that question for a couple weeks now. For some of you, giving just is your spiritual gift. You are energized to give and to meet needs. For other views, it's, it's clearly service. You are energized to serve. We have people here who serve. You, you have no idea what they do, 
or when they're here, but they come and they clean and they come and they organize and they, they set up and they do all kinds of different things. Why? Because their gifting is service, right? Some of you, your gifting is encouragement. And we talked about, man, if you are an encourager, you need to be using that gift. We live in a time where we need lots of encouragement, and so the, the body is given different gifts. Whatever energizes you, that is your spiritual gifts. And our gifts came at a great cost. No one has all the spiritual gifts. No one. We all need each other to grow fully mature and to grow into our holiness. That's why being active in a local church for a believer is so essential you will actually not be able to grow in your maturity if you are not active in a body. That's not me saying it. This is not Pastor Josh's words. These are Paul's words to us through the Ephesians and uh, through other multiple books that, that make it clear being active in the body is the only way to actually grow. So that's why, again, this week we're going to be looking at maturity. What does it look like to mature in our faith? That we would move from a cruise ship mentality to a battleship mentality is how we will know that we are actually maturing in our faith. And so there's three then real quick points. And I have exclamation points. I'm not yelling at you, but they're just, it's kind of like a coach, right? So if you ever study football or sports, uh, as a pastor, I do that because coaches have a lot of different issues, right? I mean, again, you're trying to maximize strengths and minimize weaknesses in sports. That's what a good coach does. And so, but I just, I love watching documentaries and Nick Saban and Bill Belichick did this documentary and basically, basically they both have the same philosophy, right? They, execute, they have a plan of how to win a game and they give each player a job. And so over and over again, you just see this, these coaches screaming, do your job, do your job, right? And if they're, if they're ever coaching a player, usually it's because they didn't do their job, right? or they failed at doing their job, right? And so, but yeah, so this is three just quick points of what Paul is then telling us here to do. The first one is get equipped. Get equipped. You need spiritual equipping because you have gifts that you will be held accountable for in eternity with whether or not you used them or how you used them. So get equipped. So look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. And again, he says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. The gifts of Jesus continue here in verse 11. Paul has detailed just over and over again in the book of Ephesians. If you go home and just read, read from chapter 1 to chapter 4 again, you will see over and over again Paul emphasizes God and, and through his son Jesus lavishly gives us grace upon grace upon grace. He gives us everything that we need uh, in chapter 1. He, he abundantly saves us in chapter 2. He, he reveals the mystery to us in chapter 3 and informs us that the church is the vehicle to continue or to carry out the, the mystery of God uh, in chapter 3. So here in chapter 4, again, it, it continues. So and in chapter 2, though, Paul also proclaimed that what, what is happening in the local church is that we are literally a part of God's kingdom. We are a part of his family, and we are a part of the temple of God that is being built up. Each believer is a stone that is based on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus as the cornerstone. So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 says this, right? 
Ephesians 2.20 says that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, I mentioned this first because that's, what it, that's where Paul starts off with, with the gifts, right? What did Jesus give? He gave us the apostles and the prophets. And the essence of those two gifts is that we receive the New Testament from these offices. So here in four, verse, chapter 4, verse 11, Paul declares that word-based ministries are gifts to the body of Christ in order to equip us, in order to advance the kingdom of God. So in a technical sense, apostles and prophets are the same apostles and prophets that he's mentioning in chapter 2, verse 20. These would be considered the 12 apostles, and then also other apostles who were uniquely called by Jesus and told to do something specific. So Paul uniquely saw Jesus on the road to Damascus and was called to go to the Gentiles. We would say that in a technical sense, that office ceased or stopped being, stopped existing when the apostles died. Why? Because they alone were with Jesus and they alone saw Jesus resurrected and were commissioned by him to establish the church. The same with the prophets. So we would throw in with the prophets, we would throw people like Luke and Mark, Jude and James who weren't necessarily apostles, but who were prophetic and who, again, wrote down words that we now have in our New Testament. Both those offices seem to to cease once the New Testament is formed and canonized, which means then we still have their gifts and their ministry given to us in our Bibles, which is why then it's so important that we read our Bibles and that we know what our Bibles say, because literally what Paul is saying here is these are gifts given to the church in order to know Christ, to know the power of the resurrection, and to know the hope of our future, right, where we're heading. And so in a technical sense, these two offices have ceased. So again, this should elevate then the role of God's word within our church and within our individual lives. How long do you have to spend in the Bible every day to read it once in a year? Does anybody know? I'll make this an interactive question. 12 minutes. That's right. That's all it takes. 12 minutes. That's enough time for me to... <laughs> yeah. You get a sticker. <laughs> um, so it takes me about 15 to 18 minutes to drive from my home in Nadel to here. And I even have a Bible app. And guess what? On your Bible app, here's a, it's going to blow your mind this morning. You can speed up as it reads to you. You can actually do two times the speed. It can actually be done in six minutes now. It's, it's phenomenal, right? Uh, and so, yeah, you, the, I mean, again, there's no excuse to not be in God's Word. You have unlimited resources and abilities, and you do have time. Trust me, I know, right? I know that you have 12 minutes, especially six minutes, to get into God's Word and to read it, right? And so when it comes to then our church, I mean, we have to be gospel-centered. We have to be the word-centered, right? Word-centered in everything that we do. There's some great things and great ministries that are out there. In fact, I say all the time, there's probably a, a million different ministries that are, that are worth our time and effort, but we can't do all of them, nor can we do a lot of them well, right? But we would definitely want to do wor- uh, ministries that focus on word-based ministries. Why? Because it equips us and it empowers us to do our spiritual gifts and to build up the church body. So the gospel has to be central to everything that we do. And again, that these, these uh, offices cease, though, with 
the passing of the apostles. And so, but, but now just in a general sense, the word apostle just means sent one, someone who is sent, right? The Devers are sent out from Iowa to Malaysia, right? So in a, in a sense, they have an apostolic ministry that they are sent out from the local churches here in order to do ministry in Malaysia, right? That's what the word apostle means, sent. And then the word prophet, really, when we think of prophecy or prophet, we think of prophecy and we think of predictive future like, um, you know, the... Um, you know, the Chicago Cubs will win the, the World Series in, in 2028, right? Something like that. Something either specific like that or more specific culturally, right? Really, though, the, what, what prophets did the most is just they spoke God's word into people's life in different life events and different culture events. So really what the prophets do is they, especially in the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, they look back at what God has said, they look at their current present reality, and then they speak into that reality in order to bring about change or to bring about hope for the future, right? So actually, what the prophets say in the Old Testament is actually very little pre predictive of what will happen in the future. Most of the time, they're just pointing people back to what Moses said and saying, hey, you're not obeying. Hey, you're, you're not following God. Your hearts are far from him, even though your actions are there. And so in that sense, people do have the gift of prophecy today in that they're able to point people to God's word in just day-to-day -day conversations, or in different culture events that happen. Maybe God just impresses on them something about his word of something that's going on in their life. So in a general sense, that's the gift of apostles and prophets. Third, he talks about evangelists, right? And actually in scriptures, Timothy and Philip are described as being evangelists. This is someone who is energized by telling people about Jesus. Uh, and so sometimes you might think of Billy Graham, right? Or um, Billy Sunday, if you can even go back that far. Someone who preached to like thousands upon thousands. That's actually not the gift of evangelism, right? I mean, that's, he's preaching the gospel. But the gift of evangelism is, is where you're energized to tell individual people or a small group of people about Jesus. Why is that so critical? Because it's announcing the kingdom of God. Right? It's proclaiming Jesus, he's come, he has died, he's risen from the grave, he can save you from your sins. And so they're, they're vital and word-based ministries. And then he mentions pastors and teachers. And in the Greek, that the fact that it doesn't say the pastors and the teachers leads most scholars to say that, that this is one and the same, that pastors and are teachers, right? Pastor teachers, right? And so well, one of the primary functions of pastors is to teach and preach God's word. In fact, I have a lot of verses up here that we're going to go through really quickly. So, but 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4, he says, I exhort the elders, which is the same word for pastor. I exhort the pastors among you as a fellow pastor and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but Willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so again, that idea that Jesus is the shepherd, he is the ultimate pastor. Um, pastors are called to be under shepherds of Jesus. 
Paul instructs Timothy here in multiple verses in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 and 13, he says, command and teach these things. And, and what Paul's doing there is he's summarizing the first three chapters. And he's saying, look, command and teach these things because the whole book of Timothy is written in order to bring about instruction in order to the local church. So he says, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise you, despise your youth, but set an example for believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. And until I come, notice what he commands him. Give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching, right? He's commanding Timothy as a pastor, do these things. So it's important that pastors use their spiritual gifts and that they do various ministries, but the most important thing that they do is equipping the saints. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 17, again, he says, the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, but especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now, in the book of Acts, you have this example where the apostles, again, have conflict come up that different, um, different widows are not being served correctly, right? And what do they say to the church when they address that conflict? They say, look, we need to address this. This is serious. We're going to give you authority to go do it. The church body, you're going to figure it out. You're going to appoint leaders who are worthy to, to, to address this need. Why? Because we're going to give ourselves to praying and to teaching God's word. That's what the apostles say. And in a similar vein, that's what Paul is saying here. That's the role of pastors and teachers to preach and to teach God's word. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, after going through all kind of ways in which people will fall away and just the difficulties that will come, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. And notice what he says here. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. So you might be like, oh man, I just want to go to church and I just want to hear something uplifting and encouraging and just I want to go away feeling happy and I never want to be asked to do anything. That's not what the New Testament presents as what church is, nor what preaching is, right? My job is actually to beat you up a little bit and then to build you up even more, right? So my, my job is to beat down the incorrect things that are in our minds and in our hearts, but then to build up within the spirit what should be there, right? So if you leave and you're like, oh, that was just so great. I just feel so good about myself. I failed, right? I have failed. But if you leave and you go, man, I love Jesus more, and I want to know him more through his word, then I know that I have succeeded in what my job actually is. So 2 Timothy 3.16, again, gets at this as well. Paul's encouraging. He's reminding Timothy again, you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ. He says all scripture is inspired by God. And usually we like to stop right there and say, yes, amen, all scripture inspired by God, right? But then we don't like the next part, right? Because what does it say? It's profitable for teaching. And again, what? For rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So again, certainly some of the gifts, some people have gifts of teaching that aren't pastors, but all pastors are called to equip, equip the saints for ministry. So again, we need these gifts. That's what Paul is getting at. We need these gifts within the local church, which is why Jesus is so gracious in giving us these word-based gifts we need these gifts. Why? Again, to be equipped. So again, he says, 
that he gave apostles, he gave prophets, he gave evangelists, he gave pastors and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. This is where we, we move from cruise ship to battleship, right? So it's not that uh, he gives pastors to do the ministry and that you guys just come and, again, you pat yourself on the back, that you, you, you arrive, that you're on time or a little late, uh, or you know maybe you came in right at the last little bit, but you made it, right? And then uh, you, you know, that's not what he's getting at. He's saying, you are, we're all called. We, we are a body. We're all gifted. We're all given gifts to use them to build up God's kingdom. And so pastors then are to equip the saints. Word-based ministries are to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. That word even equip is used throughout the, the New Testament to talk about mending nets. So as a fisherman would mend their nets, so the word of God is used, used to mend our hearts, right? To mend us together, to mend us for the building up of the body of Christ. And again, this is, this is a, a good picture of what God's Word will do to your heart. It will mend your heart. It will help you grow in your faith. In fact, when Paul is writing to Titus, he's saying, look, you need to establish pastors where we have planted these churches in order to bring order and structure to those churches. So Titus 1.5, he says, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right, or to literally to, to order, bring order, what was left undone as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. So again, pastors are needed in order to bring order and structure. Why? Because they're word-based ministries, which is why if a pastor is not feeding the flock with the word, that church will not grow spiritually. They might grow numerically, but they will not grow spiritually. However, again, no pastor nor even group of pastors can do and meet all the needs within a church. And this is God's design, and it's beautiful. Even if we had 10 different pastors who are all gifted at preaching, that would still not meet the needs that we have within our body. And this is God's design, which means we need all hands on deck. Again, you are gifted, and every member is to do the work of ministry. So 1 Peter 4.10 kind of echoes what Paul has said elsewhere, but he says this. He says, just as each as one of you has received a gift, what does he say next? Use it, right? Use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. So the Bible commands believers to use our gifts, and as we use our gifts, we build up the church. And when it comes to word-based ministries, there's been a lot of entertainment. There's been a lot of information, right? My, my job is not even just to give you good information, right? But not a lot of equipping. And that's what the primary role of preaching is, is to equip. And so my job is to equip you. And sincerely, I do not want to fail at my job. So we must get equipped. But secondly, we must grow up. We got to grow up. Right? He says there in verses 13 to 14, he says, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, and with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. So we are to maintain unity, but 
Here, unity is something to be attained even, even further. Just as unity needs to be maintained visibly, it needs to be attained fully. And it comes primarily through objective truths of faith and in the knowledge of Jesus. So, so in other words, as we grow in our knowledge of Jesus and, and we deepen our love for him, we will naturally be more unified together. So this is why, again, Paul has prayed that we would love Jesus more deeply, that we would understand his love more deeply within us. That wouldn't just be head knowledge. It would be something that transforms and melts our hearts. This is why, again, word-based ministries then are so needed so that we learn and grow in our knowledge and love of Jesus. Again, when we think about the Bible, the Bible is not about you. The Bible is about Jesus, and you need someone to come alongside of you and tell you that so that you don't read it from a self-centered perspective and then just manipulate it to how you want and then never grow. So the more you submit to the authority of the Bible, the more you see the vast love of Jesus, the more mature you will become and the more unity the church as a whole will grow. It's no wonder then that the plan of Satan to, to attack the local church is the same as it was to attack Adam and Eve. He asked the same questions to you today that he did to, to Adam and Eve. Did God say? Did God say? And for most of us, we don't even know, right? Because we've not taken the time to read our Bibles. We've not taken the time to know what, what, what God has given to us as a gift. We know some knowledge about the Bible, but we really don't know the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that paints this beautiful story of God's redemption through his son, Jesus. And so it's no wonder then that we struggle and that we just, again, we become like children, tossed to and fro with different things that come up in the culture. If we want to reach the culture, we don't become cultural warriors. No, we become Bible-centered, gospel-believing people who love and serve one another and who out of that love and service for one another then invite the community in. And that's what transforms the culture around us. So we are to grow up into maturity. And again, the emphasis, obviously Paul's saying you have to grow as an individual, but here he's actually speaking corporately. We are to grow into maturity together. And so again, we place too much emphasis a lot of the times on individual growth, but Paul here is speaking about corporate church-wide growth. And what are we to grow into? The measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. We are to, we are to become what we really are. We are to become what we are. We are the fullness of Christ who fills all and is in all. So why do we need to grow up? Again, so that we'll no longer be children. Now, growing up, here's some, some just things that uh, I believed as a kid because I, I just didn't know any better, right? Um, and again, when we, when we talk about children, Jesus obviously loves the little children, right? He says, I want the children to come to me. But here Paul is saying, talking about don't be like children, and he's talking about their immaturity, right? So as a child, um, my parents would go to this uh, seafood restaurant. It's called Captain D's. And they would order fish. Well, I didn't like fish as a kid. I was a picky eater. I know that's hard to believe, but I was. I was a picky eater. And so I always wanted chicken. And my parents would lie to me and tell me that that fish was chicken. And you know what? I, I, when I was a child, I could not tell the difference. It was white. It was battered. It tasted good, right? So I ate it. What are some other things that you're told as a child that just really, really isn't true, that you're too young to actually comprehend it? Well, one is, if you sit too close to the TV, what will happen? 
you'll hurt your eyes, right? That's so not true. And isn't it so ironic that our parents who told us that now look at their smartphones like this? I mean, come on. Like, there was no truth in that, right? How about this one? If you make a crazy face, it will stick that way, right? So, I mean, like, some of us, like, we're deathly afraid of that as kids because we like to make crazy faces, right? Here's my, here's my favorite, though. This was a friend of mine shared this one. It's not one that I heard personally, but it would be effective if your kids aren't here that you use this going forward. Uh, my friend was told, if I touch anything in the store, a kitten dies. And so he was deathly afraid of ever touching anything in the store because he knew if he touched something in the store, a kitten was going to die, right? And again, the parents' intentions with that was, you know, somewhat good, rightly motivated, right? They're just wanting their children to act in a certain way, but they tell them something that they can't fully comprehend, right? Well, unfortunately, we're not much better as adults uh, when it comes to being believers, how easily we get persuaded or caught up in different things going on in the world that we're not able to rightly measure against God's Word. Again, um, definitely in the past 10 years, we, we've looked at other things in the culture to bring about transformation that honestly, they just, they can't bring about transformation. Only God's word can. And so we need to grow up. We need to avoid these false doctrines. One of the saddest parts of the year for me is always when they release, when either christianbook.com or, or any website releases the top 100 Christian books sold the previous year. Two years in a row, I did just a, a deep study of those 100 books. And honestly, of those 100 books that are average, that, that are like the most selling, it was like three of them would I actually recommend that people read. Three. That means 97 books that are the most read books are either false doctrine or really, really bad doctrine. And again, I'm, I'm hear me very clearly, I'm all for reading in a, in a wide variety. I, I read many people who I disagree with. Right? But there's one thing with reading people who you disagree with and another thing about reading heresy, and you're, you're so immature that you're not able to even know it. Right? And so we have to grow up. We have to know and be able to tell what's false and what's right, what's true and what's not true. He says there that, that you're persuaded by every wind of teaching. And what that means is you're influenced by attacks on the person of God or attacks on the Trinity, or the work of God, or the gospel, you're not able to comprehend what's true and what's false. He talks about human cunning, and again, this would be teaching from philosophy that's outside of the Bible, which philosophers offer a lot of good things, but they also offer a lot of bad things. So one of my favorites when it comes to morality and ethics is Aristotle, but Aristotle himself has no room for the idea of forgiveness in his philosophy. Isn't that amazing? No room for forgiveness. That's like one of the primary characteristics of Jesus and of the New Testament is that we are people who are forgiven who forgive others. So again, we can't be persuaded by human cunning or, or uh, be blown off or cleverness and techniques of deceitful teaching. Again, this would be spiritual warfare. Storms that occur within our body, but also storms that occur within our culture that we get caught up in. And again, over the past 10 years, there's been cultural storms that the church, unfortunately, has been caught up in. And it's not advanced the kingdom of God, I'll tell you that. What advances the kingdom of God is when we are unified in our diversity and we grow up in our maturity. That's what advances the kingdom of God. And so 
This is why the, the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14, he says this, I have it here on the screen for you. He says, we have a great deal to say about this, and it's difficult to, to explain. Notice what he says there. I, I, it's so pastorally, like, he's so sensitive, right? Since you're too lazy, right? You're too lazy to understand, right? Although by this time you ought to be teachers. You'd be like, well, hold on, pastor, I'm not gifted to teach. Oh, well, but hold on. Jesus has commanded every believer in the Great Commission to go and to teach. Every, every believer. By this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. That's why, again, word-based ministries are gifts that Jesus gives us to equip us in order to mature us. So if I'm not sitting under biblical teaching and preaching, if I'm not reading my Bible on a regular basis, then I'm going to be like an immature child who is just tossed by the wind, by everything that happens. Something bad's going to happen in my day, and guess what? I'm going to lose my faith again. Something stressful is going to happen at a job, and I'm going to lose my faith again. Why? Because I'm not anchored in something greater and some truth that has radically transformed my life. So we must grow up. We must become gospel-centered people, transformed by the power of God's Word. We must get equipped. We must grow up. And finally, we must do our part. That's the third point. We must do, do your part, right? So this is kind of like you know, Nick Saban or Bill Belichick saying, do your job, right? Because it's only then that the church will actually begin to grow. He says in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knitted together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the power working in each individual part. So notice again the emphasis. The emphasis each individual part working together is how the church builds up. So in other words, if any church builds up in any other way, guess what? It won't last. It won't last. And I've seen this time and time and time again. Some personality or pastor will come along. He's great. There's nothing wrong with him. He teaches the word of God, but the whole church is based on his teaching. In other words, he's entertaining people. He's giving them good information, but he's not equipping them. And guess what? He leaves, and guess what happens to the church? It goes downhill. I've seen churches of 10,000 go down to 1,000 because that's what they were based on. Not the word. They were based on a personality. So he says here, speaking the truth in love. Literally, that, that phrase is truthing in love. So it's beyond just the ability to speak truth and love. It's actually maintaining and doing love, living truth in love. But regrettably, this is rarely seen in the local church or in our lives in general. People who love truth but don't love others, guess what? No one actually hears the truth that they want to say. Others who seem compassionate, but they wouldn't know truth, truth if it hit them between the eyes, right? Both of those are wrong. 
We need to balance speaking truth, but also loving people. Biblical community is needed in order to mature. That's what Paul is getting at here. We need each other to use our gifts and to equip each other and to build each other up into what God would call us to be. So you will not then grow unless you are plugged in into a community of people who have a balance of love and truth in their speaking and in their truthing. It means, again, that you, when you're a part of a community, you have honesty, right? So we have small groups that will be picking up here once the fall semester starts. It's not that you go to that small group and just, you know, flatter yourself as if everything is perfect in your life. No, that's the place where you share. Look, I'm struggling with this. And I need accountability and help. I'll never forget going through 1 Corinthians in, in Gainesville. In our small group, um, we're going through just the sexual purity parts of 1 Corinthians and the breakthrough that happened through our small group. Right? We would get together as men and women, but then we would also split off as men and women separately. And the breakthrough that the men had during that time was amazing. Right? That, that doesn't happen on your own. It happens through living in community. That's how you get accountability. That's how you are able to confess your sins one to another. That's how you're able to grow in your maturity. And Paul is saying, look, you need this. This is what you need. More than anything else, more than a, a, a good job, more than a nice home, more than a, a good reputation, what you need is biblical community in order to grow and be fruitful in your walk with Jesus. So when we talk about love, if love is filled without truth, it's deadly, right? We cannot really know ourselves unless someone else tells us. So even just standing up here and using a microphone, I hate the way that my voice sounds, right? Because when I talk to myself, I hear, one, I hear one voice. When I talk into a microphone or listen to a recording, I hear another voice, right? When I look into the mirror, I don't see as much gray hair as what you guys see, right? And, and yeah, I just see myself differently in the mirror, right? But when I see myself on a picture or in, in a video, I literally like cringe. Like you can ask Christina. She's like, can I take a picture of you? I'm like, no, I don't like pictures of myself. I'm like going, like I won't go back and watch the video of me preaching, but I'll listen to me preaching because I know what hand motions I make as I talk. Um, but yeah, why? Because it's different, right? It doesn't match up. That's why we need each other in order to speak into each other's life. So if you live where people love you but won't tell you the truth, you won't grow. If you live where people love you but they won't tell you the truth, you won't grow. But truth without love is also deadly. When you tell people the truth but you don't love them and you're cold and unloving, doesn't matter what you have to say, the person who you're talking to won't hear you. So truth without love does not accomplish truth. Truth without love does not accomplish truth. Love without truth does not accomplish love. We need to balance and do both. In fact, there was a study group that uh, they, they, they monitored two groups of people's lives. And in one group, people uh, did all kind of bad, unhealthy things, right? They, they smoked. They ate whatever they want. Um, they, they drank way too much alcohol. Uh, and then there was another group that didn't, right? But the difference between both groups is that those who were doing the bad things were a part of community, and those who weren't doing the bad, part, the bad things were not part of community. Can you guess which one lived longer? It wasn't the healthy people. Shocker, right? 
It was the people who were a part of the community. It actually affects how long you live. That's how much you need it. Like the way that God has built you, even if you're an introvert, is to be a part of community. Right? So, and when you're a part of community, you need truth and you need love. So it says uh, there again in verses 14, or sorry, verses 15 and 15. Again, from him... The whole body is fitted together and knit together by every supporting ligament, and it promotes the growth of the body for the building itself up in love and the proper working of each other in, in each individual part. So again, how do we grow? Jesus. That's how we grow. The gospel. Jesus is the power of our, our being matured and equipped. He holds the church together, not your elders. Amen. Church, the elders cannot hold the church together. Jesus has to hold the church together. The gospel, this is the gospel. It's on the cross. Jesus died because of the truth, the truth that we are sinners, but also because he loved us, right? He holds those two together. He died because he loves us. And when Jesus went to the cross, it was the most insulting thing that could happen to him. And he does it because he loves you. He balanced truth and love perfectly. So you are loved by Jesus. You're so lost that nothing less than the death of the Son of God was needed to save you, but Jesus also says, I love you so much that I was willing to do it for you. So unless you see that balance of truth and love, unless you understand the magnitude of what Jesus has done for you, you won't be transformed to speak truth and love. But this, again, it doesn't minimize our responsibility. And so the health of the church doesn't come from the culture or from pragmatic methods. It comes from the Word of God and from believers being equipped by the Word of God and then using our spiritual gifts to build up the body. Waukee would be turned upside down if this happened. The greater Des Moines area would be turned upside down is that if, as a church, we would get this right Resurrection power in the church flows from Jesus, who is the head, to individual gifted believers in relationship with each other. And when we minister to each other, God is at work in our gifts and at work in his glory, and his rule is extended throughout the world. So we'll close here with a big idea, and this is real brief. The kingdom of God will only advance as we grow up, use our gifts, and speak truth and love. That's how the kingdom advances, right? Again, this is what Paul presents as the model for church health and church growth. The question this morning is, do we believe it? Do we believe it? Again, it's the same question that Satan asks Eve and asks Adam. Did God really say? So in other words, are we going to trust something else, or are we going to trust what God has said? Are we going to submit to his authority and to his word? Are we going to believe that Something else is what will happen, or something else is what is needed in order to, to promote church health and, and to grow the body. It's a question to ponder this morning. Did God say? Hopefully this morning has been clear what God has said through his word, that we are to be united in our diversity, and we are to grow up in our, in our maturity. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just the, the past few weeks to slow down a little bit and to go through this chapter uh, in a little more, a little bit more detail. Lord, help us to get this right. 
Lord, break our hearts for the lostness around us, for the need that is there, but also, God, break, break our hearts for the, just how, much, how immature we are in our face. Lord, too often, circumstances and different things going on in my life just affect my attitude, affect my heart. Lord, just remind me in those moments to grow up. Help, me to, help us to trust your word as sufficient and holy. Help us to see it as the gift that it is. Help us to just to understand the way that you have gifted us individually to use our gifts. Lord, not for building up our own selves, but for serving others. And God, through all of this, bring glory.